0: Praise the Lord. Welcome to my podcast. This is Pastor Edwin. We have been doing a little bit of reading, uh, Steps to Revival by Pat Robertson, and we left off on the third step, um, after the third step, going into the fourth step in revival. And this is interesting. So let's let's get into it real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, allowing us to come together today to receive this word. Father God, let these things that are spoken here be of your truth, Lord. As we connect them to your holy scriptures, to your absolute truth, Father, lead us into these revivals that we can come together as brothers and sisters to glorify you, and praise you, and receive you according to how you want us to receive you, not how we think we should receive you. And we. Give you the glory as we pray in jesus name amen okay guys so let's go into the fourth step in revival is to turn from our wicked ways how is this to be accomplished the prophet hosea wrote break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you listen to that praise jesus so with a view to righteousness reap in accordance with kindness Hosea 10.12 What does it mean to break up your fallow, unplowed ground? If a field is left idle without planting or cultivation, it will develop a hard crust. The action of the rain, the sun, and the wind makes it progressively harder. It it makes it hard to do anything on there. That's why we use these big machines right, to plow the ground. If seed is sown on it, the seed will not penetrate. And before long, moisture will not soak in, but will roll off into gullies and streams and basically washing away the seed, right? In order to bring such a field into cultivation, a massive turning plow must be run through it, followed by crisscross, dicing to break the clods and to find earth suitable to receive seed and moisture. The spiritual life of people is like that, just like that. There are First, there is a lack of Bible reading and prayer. Then attendance at worship begins to slip. Things that once caused our spirit's pain now are tolerated. Instead of desiring the appeal of God and fellowship with Jesus, we want money, things, and more and bigger possessions. We fill our minds with worldly pictures, sounds, and concepts. Our language gets coarser. We associate more and more with those who are rebels against God. We can hear preaching or, or Christian music, but it doesn't move us. Some begin conduct. Some begin to conduct... That they clearly know it's wrong, but the conscience, which for so long gave warning, nah, doesn't seem to work anymore. All those little signs, they're not paying attention to them. Our hearts are hardened, and that crust must be broken. How do we begin? Well, the way is simple. We don't sin in generalities, so we should not repent in generalities. A prayer, O oh God, pardon my sins and transgressions, for they are many. Won't cut it. You get what I'm saying? You gotta go deep in and talk real with God. Here's the plan: take a writing pad and pen or pencil, get on your knees, and tell God that you've been, you have come to Him to repent of your sins and ask His forgiveness. Sounds familiar? Don't be in a hurry. This process may take hours, even days. It may require repeating it. Mention the prayers of the psalmist. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me, in Psalms 51. Then let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, Psalms nineteen, fourteen. Then search me, O God, and know my heart, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Psalms 139, 23 and twenty-four. Allow the Holy Spirit, to begin the process of bringing to mind what you should write. As you write, be brutal on yourself. Don't excuse anything, even vaguely wrong. Don't don't be light on yourself. The object is to confess, forsake, find mercy and forgiveness. Then enter the presence of the Lord. I repeat, I repeat, do not hurry in this. Take your time, think about it, write it down. So when you come to the Lord, you bring it all out. Yes, you're thinking, well, he knows all these things. Of course he does. But he would like for you to uh, willingly, and that's the key word, willingly bring these things to the table and lay them out before him. Okay? Because it's you saying, all right, Lord, I recognize them to be a flaw uh, and to be something that's wrong in my life. Okay? First, we start with the, re- with the great commandment. Which one is that? Thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. All your strength. All your strength. Mark twelve thirty. We have all broken this one, so write it down. Second, there has been deadness and coldness in your prayer life. You have neglected the study of the Bible. You have lost your first love. Write it down clearly. I lost my first love. Third, Jesus said, when we stand praying, if we ought uh, 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 against any, forgive. If we have to, forgive. If you need to, forgive. If you should, forgive. Well, you must forgive in order to be forgiven. Think now of the people who have really mistreated you, that you resent, perhaps hate. Write their names down. You nobody's going to see it, but you and God. Forgive them and ask forgiveness for hating them. Fourth, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And what lies have you got standing? What kind of lies you got out there? Well, this can be painful, but write them down, all of them. You may have some fixing to do on these, but you will find honesty brings relief. and You let it all go. It's just baggage. Let it all go go. And by the way, this does not mean telling your spouse every romantic escapade before your marriage. Okay? Before your marriage is different. Some things are under blood, under the blood of Jesus. Okay? Leave them there. Fifth, chances are there is something lurking in your spirit dealing with sexual sin. There is an overpowering amount of sexual solicitation in our world aimed at the carnal nature of every adult. And in today's world, it's targeting our youth. Your Heavenly Father understands the temptation, but He still wants you to lay before Him your sins and failures. The Bible says, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Colossians 2.15 Write down the temptations, the transgressions, the problems privately between you and God. Then tell Satan that this is all covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and that Satan has wasted his effort. To destroy you. Sixth, slander is a terrible sin, but one which we all take lightly. Write down whom you have slandered, talk bad about, and when. Again, do not give yourself the benefit of doubt. Your Heavenly Father knows it all, remember. He just waits for you to come to Him openly and honestly, so that He can forgive you. Lay it all on the table for Him. Seventh, let the Holy Spirit show you the times when your words have grieved Him. Wow, that's a big one. And the times that you have disobeyed him, the times that you have wounded others, the times that you have been insensitive to the spiritual or physical need of someone you could have helped. Think of the resentment that you have caused in others by your conduct. Think of people you have cheated or abused. Think of what you may have taken that is not yours. Think of the times when your life and actions have actually damaged someone else's faith write all these things down take your time not only will this exercise bring god's power into your life it will serve as a welcome catharsis to your mind and spirit eighth the bible tells men to make peace with their wives that your prayers may not be hindered first peter three verse seven this also applies to other relationships in your life such as those with parents and children. There is no way that you can enter into God's presence while harboring anger, resentment, bitterness, jealousy, or unforgiveness against your spouse or another loved one. Write down the problems and your offenses against the person. Remember, this is not a blame game against another. It is confessing honestly your sin and your guilt. You must be honest with yourself and about yourself. Do not try to justify your actions. God knows what is right and what is wrong. The Bible says, A broken and contrite heart. O oh God, though not despise, Psalms fifty-one, seventeen. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. As you remember and write down the wrongs uh, done to your mate or your, your uh, significant other, think also of the wrongs done to your children or your brothers and sisters. Have you loved them? Have you brought them up in the knowledge and admission of the Lord? Have you been so rigid and authoritarian that they have rebelled against you in the Lord? Have you been available to talk, to listen carefully to them, and to understand their problems, hopes, and dreams? For children, of course, think of your attitude toward your parents, to those that are raising you. For those who, with elderly parents, have you loved them and cared for them, showing them attention they deserve? When you have finished writing, you may have... A Quite a long list, indeed. Go through it again, point by point. Reread it. At each one, earnestly ask God's forgiveness. Where ongoing wrongs is still in progress, promise yourself and the Lord that you will make it right. Then take that list and say, Lord, all of these sins and transgressions I place under your blood of Jesus Christ. Under the blood of Jesus Christ, I accept your gracious forgiveness and praise you for setting me free i humbly ask that i may walk in your presence that you may hear my prayer and send revival to heal my land in jesus name amen then take a match and burn your list before the lord as far as the east is from the west that's how far he will remove our transgressions from us psalms 103 Then spend time worshiping and adoring God for who He is and what He has done for you. God has forgiven you. The price for your sin has been paid once and for all by Jesus Christ. You are free. You are cleansed. The Bible tells us that we have been cleansed from a guilty conscience to serve the living God. God does not want you to be engaged in morbid introspection for all of your life. He wants you to enter joyously into His service as a full-fledged member of His holy family. As we live our lives in His presence, there is an ongoing cleansing from sin. The Apostle John said it this way, But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John one seven. Now that your conscience has been made tender before the Lord, you will naturally walk with Him in His light. But keep short accounts with God. If you sin, confess it immediately and put it behind you. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. He has prepared you for revival. Now look at the fifth step quickly here. The, the fifth step to revival is unity. Woo! Jesus told His disciples that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask it it shall be done for them of my father which is in heaven. Matthew's 18, 19, 4 He continued where two or three are gathered together in my name there am I in the midst of them. Matthew's 18. We also read that on the day of Pentecost the disciples were together in one accord in one place. The Bible tells us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is Hebrews 10:25. I too have been a uh, uh into this point right here and brought this into my life. Well, not intentionally forsaking, but uh, there's times that unintentionally you end up forsaking, but others see it this way that you're doing it intentionally. They're not looking at what you've been through and you may have held uh, something against them because of how they were perceiving um, the status of your situation. You see, when you can't, you can't. And when you can you can. But when you can't, you praise God. When you can, you praise God. So, although each of us needs to do deep soul searching, I'm suggesting in a private place of quiet, very classic revival, which I am aware took place when the believers had gathered together. They were in one accord in one place, whether that place was a church, a tabernacle, a barn, or a clearing in the woods. And obviously, the leader's need to spend large amounts of time alone in earnest prayer and study. Evan Roberts, the leader of the Walsh Revival, had a glorious encounter with the fire of the living God at 1 o'clock in the morning as he was praying in his bedroom. Charles Finney, America's foremost advocate of revival, met the Holy Spirit while he was praying in his study. He reported the glorious experience as if giant wings fanned his face. Then he was lifted into a new experience of the presence of God. John Hyde of India prayed alone for six to eight hours a day. It was said that James, the Lord's brother, had knees like a camel because of the hours that he spent alone in prayer. Each of us can and must spend time alone with the Lord, but the visitation from God we are seeking will only come when believers, believers, believers are praying together. To begin, there can be a small core of those whose hearts are knit together in their desire for personal holiness and their hunger for a visitation of God. Now, let me remind you, if people are afraid, concerned the, uh, uh, of the manifestation of God in front of them in their lives at that moment in time, they will not do this. Their heart's not ready. They will not do this. It will not happen. It would be unwise to expect everyone who professes to be a Christian to share your zeal. I've made that mistake in the past and thought that everyone coming into it as a new Christian, that everyone would share my zeal. And they do not. Some smile at you and shake their head and nod and yes, yes, in agreement, but in truth, their heart was far from that. Okay the heart was far from that sharing your zeal okay they mm-mm, it actually scared them made them nervous of what was really going to come out when god appeared the truth someone was going to speak it a message was going to come out they will come later okay so don't worry about that they will come later the goal is a group small okay or large gathered together in one accord one accord Everyone has to be in one accord, knowing what they want. Here's why we're here. Uh, And this is what we want from God. We want a manifestation from Him. We want to hear from Him. We want to pray to Him and say, come to us, Lord. We want to receive You, Lord. We want to hear from You, Lord. Hallelujah, come. And this is what we start to do. Not, like I said, we have to realize that not everyone's going to share that, that same feeling. So, we know Small or large group gather together in one accord. Petty differences among participants must be put aside along with disputes over fine points of doctrine. You understand that? Whether someone's eschatology makes him uh, premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial is of absolutely no consequence if that individual is crying out to God for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. That is key, understanding what you're asking for, an anointing of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid. As prayer for revival begins, the time is right to ask for forgiveness of those you have offended and to openly forgive those who have offended you. Don't allow those offenses to, to, to uh, hinder you, to stay in your heart because they sometimes will bear them way down deep. But it'll affect you later on as you go along. And that's the little tactic of the enemy. It's all right. You know. Just you don't have to think about it. No. Put it out on the plate. Think about it. Talk to God about it. Once you give it to God, it's gone. Okay? You leave it there. Do your best. Put aside the petty spite and jealousy that may have characterized your relations with other members of your church assembly. God is love. As you seek God, let His love work through you to tear down all the barriers that keep you from loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. When the power of God falls, all those things that appear to be reasons for us to be separated from each other fade into insignificance in the light of God's glory. Yes, you create a bigger bond. And this I can relate to. When the power of God falls, remember, All those things that appear to be reasons for us to be separated from each other fade into insignificance. Yes, it's God's glory, His beautiful light. So, remember also God's solemn assessment of the human unity He observed at the Tower of Babel. You guys remember that story? Behold, they are one people and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose. To do will be impossible for them. Genesis 11, 6. I said, uh-uh. They're, just, they're getting powerful in disobedience. We need to bring, sh- shut this down real quick. Just think of the incredible power of human endeavor when those involved were united even in rebellion against God. Then think of the awesome power that our unity can produce when energized by the power of the Holy Spirit in revival. Did I just say that? The Holy Spirit in revival. Hear that again. The Holy Spirit Produced when energized, energized by the power of the Holy Spirit in revival. Is that not what we're seeking? Yes! This is the power to change a nation and to frustrate the plans of those who wish to destroy us. Is it any wonder that Satan who knows full well what a unified church empowered by the Holy Spirit can accomplish? Does everything in his power to cause rancor and division among Christians? He wants to break their unity while he entices them to commit sin so that the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives will be lifted. Will be lifted. Out of the tragedy caused by hate, the church of Jesus Christ will arise as the mighty spiritual force that God intended. And in the words of our Lord, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16. The sixth step to revival and the last step is... And maybe not even the last step, but we've got six steps here. Perseverance. After Jesus had risen from the dead, he instructed his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with the power from the from on high. That means he told them to wait there patiently until they received the power of the Holy Spirit, until they received the promise, the gift. We learn that these men and women whose were whose very lives were in grave danger because they were being hunted by Romans, gathered in the upper room to wait and pray for the promise of the Father. Day one passed and no miracle occurred. Not just to the Romans, they were hunted by by the Pharisees. They were hunted by by Paul at this time. See, and like it says, day one passed and no miracle occurred. Day two, nothing, and day three, nothing. The same on days four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Nine days, nothing. Talk about being discouraged, huh? Those of weak mind that give up quickly on the Lord, that say, well, there's nothing happening. Let me keep holding on, but I see nothing happening. Nothing happening. But when it does happen, if you stay focused, when it does happen, you're going to see it. And you're going to move. And everyone else in that room is going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you moving? What's going on? I didn't see it. Uh Uh-oh, look at this. Imagine their impatience. I mean, you just got to think about that. Imagine their fear also. Imagine that their faith was wavering. Imagine the restless boredom of sitting in one place day after day with nothing happening. Was their hope merely an illusion? Jesus was not there in person. Had he deceived them? Was their prayer vigil merely a vain hope? Other doubts may have assailed them, yet they waited and prayed as they had been instructed to do. They believed that the promise given by their Lord was valid and they clutched it tightly to their hearts. They didn't start making up stories and, and this and that and say, well, the Lord wants us to do this, the Lord wants us to do that. No, uh, I mean, I'm, I've been guilty in thinking that God wanted me to do something and truly believing that it was from Him, that He wanted me to go there and be a part of this. Yeah, He wants us to be a part of the body and do all these things through the body. But to be called in all these things not necessarily. Um, It's more of uh, being obedient to your own calling, yes, but also being obedient to the needs of brothers and sisters around, where you open your heart to them. And they take it as, well, God called you to do this. No, no, that's not what God said. And it may have been a confusion there as far as God shows you to do something. God shows you in the time being, do this, so you go in the timing and you mention it, but it's not heard clearly because of what they expect. Okay. So there they we're sitting there in this room, figuring out, figuring when is God going to come? When is this gift, this promise happening? Right? Then when the day of Pentecost, the 15th day, listen, we stopped at nine. They still wait another four days. The 15th day. Okay, or a uh, sixth day, the fifteenth day after the Passover had finally come. The miracle happened. The Bible tells us there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the room where they were sitting, and cloven tongues of fire separated and appeared over the heads of each one of uh, one in there. There was like little flames. It looked like tongues flipping around and on top of their heads, right. Then they were each filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. The noise was so loud that a crowd made up of people from all over the Roman Empire gathered. They listened in amazement to simple, uneducated Galileans. Did I say that right? Simple, uneducated Galileans speaking in each of their native language. People were shocked. Some made fun of the believers, but most of the crowd were so overwhelmed with God's power that they listened eagerly to Peter as he preached to them, and they cried out, What should we do? That day a man who only a few weeks before had shown fear to a servant girl preached with such authority and power that three thousand were converted to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The same God who visited his people at Pentecost in Jerusalem wants to visit his church in America today. In my opinion, I don't mean just any building, his church. All of us true believers of Jesus Christ are his church. In my opinion, the revival coming to America in the years to come will eclipse every other revival that the world has ever known. So press in follow the steps to revival set forth in this booklet then prayerfully wait for god to do the part that he has promised therefore do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you have the need of endurance so that when you have done that the will of god you may receive what was promised hebrews 10:35 through 36 thank you for tuning in Thank you for listening. Again, that was uh, written by Pat Robertson, Steps to Revival. You have it here. I read it. Praise God. These are things that I've uh, experienced myself in revivals. I don't know what type of revival um, setting you guys have uh, sat in or listened to, but if you didn't receive Holy Spirit, check on that. Receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the reason why we go into revival, so we can refresh, redo, and repower ourselves, repower a part of the body, the members of the body, so we can continue spreading the absolute truth of God. Let's give Him the glory today, as we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen.